Yeah, I just put a couple of things on. It's not uh, a full slideshow of of the client, but I'll just go through a few things. So what you're seeing here, and I put this up, somebody said that it looks like you just woke up. So there were three people in a tent on Denali, and it's at the end of the day, we're all pretty miserable. It's been rough. And you get more and more sunburnt and windburnt and worn out. These two guys I was climbing with and we're in a tent. This is really a picture to show you. This is all it takes to climb Everest. This is every bit of equipment that I carry. And that's it doesn't take a whole lot, but it's a logistics that's expensive. This is a picture of Kathmandu. You need to get out of there as fast as you can. There, if you get sick, <laughs> if you get yeah. sick, you are, your trip is done. If you get a respiratory infection, your trip is done. It is so crowded. People are falling all over each other. And as much as you want to hang out and see things, you should do it after the climb. Before the climb, ideally you have a mask on. Nowadays it doesn't seem strange, but before when, I, when it seemed quite strange. But I had a mask on. Uh, you worry quite a bit about uh, picking up a respiratory infection that you won't be able to shed at high altitude. This is the airport called Lukla. Some consider it right about as the most dangerous airport. This is how you go from Kathmandu to the mountain, to the high altitude, before you start your climb to Everest Base Camp. Do you see that picture down on the left yeah. bottom? Yep. You see how the runway ends? There is a 1,500-foot oh. straight drop from there. So when the plane takes off... It's never going up. It goes there and it drops down out of sight and then starts coming up because it's such a short runway. <laughs> and it's quite nerve-wracking. And when the weather is <laughs> yeah, when the weather is bad, it just the landing and takeoff is so unpleasant. And there's been multiple crashes there with people not surviving it. This is uh, the path of the hike towards base camp uh, here that's me and you can see i'm going through this town called namche bazaar and it's the last place where if you need any supplies this is a place to buy it there's people yaks there's people carrying stuff it's a fun place what what kind of stuff can you buy there for example if you were like make it this far and you said gosh i forgot my ice hammer or cleats or whatever it is you use. Can you crampons? Can you, yeah. Can you buy like legit stuff here, like legit climbing gear? Yeah, I, I was pretty surprised to see it because at this point you can't find anything. But this is the stepping stone to Everest Base Camp, and you can find some very high quality things there. If let's say your crampons broke, or there's a problem with your boot, or you need better goggles, you can mostly find it here it's pretty impressive and if you can't find it here you can phone down to Kathmandu and just wait there for a day or two and have the plane bring it to Lukla and then somebody bring it up to Namcha Bazaar so this is your last chance for getting things that you've forgotten or you need one other question Ramin yeah how is the transaction performed at this 
at a place like this? Do you carry cash with you? Credit cards yeah. work, or yeah, you know. it's really interesting you ask that because the first time I went, it was all cash. Everything was cash and uh, dollar cash, not anything else. U.S. U.S. dollars. U.S. Oh. dollars. The second time I went, they took credit cards. So that was a, in a span of four years. There was a huge amount of technical technological advancement and change, and they actually seem to prefer credit cards because. People are much more likely to buy things if they're just charging it, as opposed yeah. to have to whip out a little bit of cash that they had. You don't carry that much cash with you. You already have to consider that that at the end of the trip, you're going to want to be tipping people that have helped you all along this climb from the cooks to the people carrying things to the yak herders to your Sherpa climbing partner the guides. So really all the cash that you carry is just about enough to take care of people. And so a credit card being being able to use that makes a huge difference. Is there have you heard of any crime in these areas? Taking advantage of out of towners or is there anytime there's a transactional component like this, there's probably somebody who's going to take advantage. Have you heard of anything like that or any crimes at the base camp or anything like that? It's twofold. The answer is yes. And mostly it seems that anything that happens is not conducted by the local people. It tends to be the foreigners, the outsiders that are doing things. And it's related to whether you get sabotaged, somebody steals your rope, or somebody takes a battery pack that belongs to you, or your boot disappears. It's that kind of stuff. There is really no petty crime theft. The people in the higher altitude of the mountains, they're Buddhists and they're kind and they're gentle. It's very different than the population down in Kathmandu where there's a hustle bustle of a big city. People are very spiritual as you go into the higher ground. So crime comes from, unfortunately, from outsiders mostly. Wow. This is a typical Swiss-made bridge to go over gorges. You come across them all around through the trip to get to the base camp. They're steel wire bridges, and they swing wildly when it's windy. I was going to put a video in there, but I didn't. So here you can see some of the path is very picturesque, and you go into a higher altitude. This is at around 14,000 feet. And it's not particularly cold. It's below freezing at night times. This is a tea house, and it's like luxury accommodations in places on the way to base camp. This all ends in Ferriche, and from there on your intent, the next close to two months. But this is really nice, and you get to have a cozy place to sleep. You see a lot of these guys, they're huge, and you don't want to be in their way. They get spooked, and they'll push you off the cliff. But they're not vicious. It's just they get spooked very easily. So this is the first view of what of Everest. I marked it because what is Lhotse, which is the fourth highest mountain in the world, on the right and on the left, you're seeing Everest, the tippy top of it. Let me see. 
do you guys see my pointer on your screen? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Yes. So this here is the south summit. From there, from here to here, which is the actual summit, is about 300 feet difference in altitude. But it takes about two hours. And this is the south summit is where a lot of people end up turning around. The Hillary Step is around here, just before the actual summit. And the Hillary Step is like a 35, 40 foot uh, rock climb upwards. That has changed a little bit with the earthquake of 2015. It seems to be shaped differently, maybe not even as particularly difficult as it used to be. This is the last village before base camp. It's called Feriche, and these are tea houses that you're seeing here and here. You stay there, and then you head to base camp. So now we've gone to base camp. We're backtracking to this mountain called Lobache, and that's me. I'm doing a training run on this slope. I, I put another picture of this slope to give you an idea of the steepness and the ice Wow. That's there. Holy cow. It, uh, wow. It, the, this one doesn't capture what you're practicing on. And it's a great training mountain. I don't find that it's particularly dangerous, but it's, it can be very icy. Then you may camp up top to get used to 20,000 foot altitude because base camp is only about 17,500 feet. And then you come down next day and go back to base camp. And this is what the entrance to base camp looks like. There's this rock there with a bunch of signatures on it and some prayer flags. So the picture I showed you is down here. And base camp is all this. It's a huge area. It takes from here to here, it takes a good one hour to hike. Wow. And these are the ice falls starting where it says crampon point. You can go without crampons or what Sal called cleats up to here. And then this is where the very difficult steep stuff with moving ice blocks starts uh, up to here. So from here to here is the ice falls. Then camp one is here. Basically, a hike to Camp 2 takes about six to eight hours. It's not particularly difficult, and, but it's extremely hot. It's in the valley here, and while the temperature is below freezing, most people can have heat issues with feeling like the temperatures, remember the sun beating on them, has their body temperature or their suit temperature be well over 100 degrees. So you'll see people shedding clothes. And then... Camp 3 is in the middle of Lhotse Face. Then there is a saddle area here. That's South Call, where the death zone starts. It's a saddle between Lhotse, the fourth highest mountain in the world, and Everest, the tallest mountain in the world. You stay here only a few hours because now your body is degrading. You need to use oxygen. And you're just resting for a few hours before you uh, start your summit bit, which is about 3,000 vertical feet to go from here to here. 
but you're starting at 26,000 feet where there is less than half the usual oxygen in the air and you're going to climb all the way to where to the summit where the oxygen in the air is one third again it should are you carrying this oxygen with you though are your sherpas carrying it from base camp where does this oxygen come so from? the it's oxygen is a uh, good question the oxygen is carried from base camp over here by sherpas and left at camp two it's part of stocking camp two but once you're in camp two, you carry your own oxygen. It's a, the cylinder is about 17 pounds, and you put it in your backpack with your equipment with a, with a tube coming out and going to your mask. And from you try not to use oxygen going up to camp three. You push things as much as you can, and even a little bit above camp three. But you're carrying your oxygen, and then somewhere around camp three and above, you start using it. You have to start using it. Otherwise, by the time you get to South Call, you've unnecessarily worn down quite a bit. And you're using it at half a liter to a liter uh, a minute. Ramin, I got a question for you. Are you checking? Say it again. Oh, sorry, uh, Ramin. Can I ask a question here? You mentioned before how you saw these people just die in front of you, and I've looked into Everest a little bit previously and saw some photographs of just bodies laying up and down the mountain. And so, yeah. when someone dies, they're gone. You just have to leave them. Like I hear, I I see these macabre pictures of somebody, a corpse that is their entire jacket has been degraded by the, and you just see their bare preserved back. Or I, I hear about this marker, green boots. Did did you see this or what? Tell me about the death that's laid on the trail. How do you feel about so, that? What do you mean? So on the. On this side of the mountain, which is the south side, the deaths are much more likely to happen around here and up. Mm -hmm. Down here, if somebody dies, you can get them down. I really did not see anybody that was had passed away or died in this area. But what I did see is as the ice falls, this river of ice starts melting, people who have died in years past start showing up, melting out of the ice down here, closer to base camp. And yeah, one day I found an arm of a person. You don't know whose it is. It may be 10, 20 years, 30 years old. And somebody else found uh, another person. But they're not visible the way green boots, for example, is. And that happens a lot more on the north side. So look at this picture I was showing you. You see how the south side is very steep going up? Mm -hmm. It's on average 45 to 50 degrees. This is the north side. It's much more gradual, but it's a lot longer. So you're doing this same climb at a less steep angle, but you're at high altitude much longer. It's more likely that somebody dies on the north side and you can't get them down. Whereas on the south side, oftentimes people who die are blown off the mountain and you don't recover the body. On the north side, green boots is on the north side. 
And when I was there climbing, it was the 20th year anniversary of Into Thin Air. And Scott Fisher actually is one of the few people that is on the route. He's around here, what we call the shoulder. This picture doesn't show it. You make a 90-degree turn to go a different direction around here at 27,500 feet. And he is sitting off the path, leaning back against a rock. And he's completely frozen. You don't recognize it as a person unless you know what you're looking for and you go close to see it. There's heavy snow and ice up there. So you don't see as many bodies as you might hear about like on the north side. So this is base camp. This is a dining tent where everybody in a group sits there. These are communication tent Porta potty, our tents. <laughs> a porta potty is a pleasure to go to because soon there is no porta potty, and you wish you had that. And it, if you see this blue thing, they have a bucket of water that on days that it's warm enough, they try to heat it to let people take showers. It a lot of times it doesn't work, but when it does, it's nice to rinse off. Most people go without a shower for a long time. And let's see, another porta potty here. That's me laying around in the tent. When I said that you'll be in your tent thinking and people get all nerved out, this is what it's like. You might be laying there for a full day. You read books, you listen to music, you may find a way to talk to your family. All of it is a little nerve-wracking. You go through your equipment over and over again. You spend a few hours practicing every day, ice climbing and crossing ladders and things like that. Here I'm practicing going across a small ladder over a crevasse. And it's all about how you get your, the tips of your crampons to go between the rungs of the ladder. you got to have both the front and the back on there without catching anything. I sent a picture down to <laughs> to my family at the time I was using a satellite phone that let me do it, and they zoomed in on it and looked at my nose. And everybody down here was sure that there's I lost my nose. I did have a little bit of frostbite, but it wasn't really... It, it, it was much worse looking than it really was. I can fix that for you. <laughs> I'm sure you're eyeing my forehead right now. <laughs> you're like, ah, that's exactly. this guy's got a nice long forehead. This should be fine. No hair on it either. <laughs> so avalanches happen, and if you're close, there's really no getting away from it. This avalanche is about a mile away from me, and it came at such speed. When it started, I just stood there, and I was looking at it, and it takes a few seconds to realize that it is coming at you hard. When it comes at you, Holy if God. there's big chunks, you're in trouble, but it hits you hard, and this is a guy in front of me. In this avalanche, two people died, but we were far enough that it didn't really uh, cause a problem. Here is above the ice falls, camp one. You see all the tents up there? You, you come over the edge of the ice falls, and it's serene. It's like quiet, and 
beautiful mountain on the right, and this is Lhotse Face on the left, and this is Everest here. Hey, guys, if we're running short of time, tell me. No, continue. Yeah, I think yeah. we're fine, or me. Yeah, this is fascinating. So, do you see all the steps in between here? Mm-hmm. What looks yeah. like snowdrift? That you can see the scale by knowing that these are individual tents. And what you're seeing here is crevasses. This is where the glacier is starting to break up, going down to the ice falls, which is down starts down here. And for you to climb, you're not going straight through to Camp Two. That's why this takes seven or eight hours. You're going here, going around a crevasse, finding another bridge, going another. You're going back and forth. Sometimes you uh, climb down into a crevasse. You come back up in order to find a path to get to Camp 2, which is over here. Wow. So now we're starting to approach the Lhotse face, and you get more of a sense what this 5,000-foot climb is like. This is the south shoulder of Everest, and my next picture is going to show you the scale. This is the same shoulder. Now... You're getting a better look at the people down here. And Camp 2 is right over here. The mountain is massive, massive. And Samir, this, Samir, is where, this isn't yeah. like your 10-minute uh, rep on uh, the Stairmaster at your country club, huh? <laughs> yeah, this is unfathomable to me. Uh. Ironically, sometimes the Stairmaster seems harder. So... <laughs> yeah. So I did read. I did read into thin air. That's probably the closest I'll get to this. <laughs> I'm just climbing a ladder, crossing a ladder here. It's a small one. The way you do this is that one person crosses. Do you, Do you see the shadow of this shadow here? There's a person who's buddying up with. The person behind you grabs the rope and leans back on it so that there is uh, nice tension on the rope that you're holding when you're crossing. And you can see it's not very cold. I don't even have a glove on. These ladders is a whole different story. Wow. This is a kind of ladder that I told you someone in front of me fell off of into a crevasse. And there is, you need to double clip on these, meaning that there's a rope here. There's a rope here. The, this person is leaning back and holding tension on this rope. And that person, even though it doesn't look like it, oh, yeah, I, this is anchored into the ground here. So this is the only person holding tension, and then this person crosses. As you're crossing, this ladder starts swaying side to side. There is stabilizing ropes, but this thing is moving. It's uh, quite unnerving. Some of these crevasses can be 100, 200 feet deep, at least to the extent that you can see because it starts looking black down there. 